so we're gonna we're gonna do something interesting. Oh, there's my cup. I think it'll be interesting, and then this will help us as we're moving forward. Uh, one of the problems that we have, Don and Don and Karen have to count yet. Um, Ron's coming back. One of the problems we have is that, you know, as I've been plotting our way through the book, we kind of lose the the big picture, right? We get caught up in the moment. Uh, so what I wanted to do this time, and that's why I don't have you notes, any notes for you, plus I knew we wouldn't have a lot of time, although we have plenty of time, um, is actually to read the trial before Pilate as a big chunk so we can see it, um, see the whole thing. And it's because it's so unique in John's Gospel, which we'll talk more about next time. Um, it seems to be not only greatly expanded, but also seems to be a little bit more flexible with the historic accuracy of it. And I think we've talked about this, right? That John's, John's purpose for writing the gospel is not a purely historic record. And that shouldn't bother us. Um, because as we talked about, I think it was last time or the week before, well, we didn't meet last week. But what we've talked about previously is that the, how do we say this? Uh, that, they, that John agrees on the key details. Yeah. Uh, and I listed, is it on this sheet that I listed? And it's probably on the one previous to this. Where I listed all, yeah, it was the one previous to this, where I listed all the ways that, you know, all the things that John has in common with Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it's the key historic event, uh, events, right? But he tells us uh, in chapter 20 that these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you would have life in his name. So he very explicitly states that his purpose for reading is less historic and more theological, that you would have faith in God, faith in Jesus as God, I should say. So um, we talked about this, I think it was that, you know, a couple weeks ago, about how... Um, Historic record is never, I mean, to think about like an event, a recent event, um, something like the so-called Capitol riot, right? Uh, now, depending on what, who you want to believe, you can actually come up with a very different purpose for that event, right? Depending on which witnesses you listen to and how you tell the story, right? This spun out this week because one of the congresswomen decided to recall her account of the story um, in a way that was less than historically accurate. But, I mean, did she, did she have, to, to be fair, did she have real fear? Was she really concerned about what was going on? Sure, of course. There was a bomb threat, and they were being evacuated an hour before the, the Capitol was breached, and she was evacuated. She wasn't even anywhere near the Capitol. She wasn't in the Capitol in the first place. And then, right. Uh, so you can see where she took, she took an event that really happened, she didn't get all the historic details right, but she was trying to communicate um, this idea of being in fear for her life. That was her motive. Um, she ended up lying in the process, I think, pretty dramatically, but it's just by way of example. Whereas others could say, you could tell that, the story of that event as basically a lark, a bunch of people wanting to um, make, make a statement um, to the Congress who was meeting at the time. Um, by being outside and making a ruckus and, you know, standing with their flags and their, and their red hats and whatever. 
Uh, and then there were some bad actors that decided that it would be fun to kind of beat on the doors and try to get, gain entrance to the Capitol, you know, which wasn't the majority of the people, but you know, it was a few. And others got caught up in it, and it turned into kind of a um, terrible event. Uh, one woman was shot. Um, some police died later of various physical ailments, none of which were actually caused by the riot itself. You know, heart attacks and these sort of things. That was CNN. CNN for weeks was saying that the police officer was had been had a brain injury from the uh, from a fire extinguisher, and they thought they saw it on video. Uh, the the coroner said he had no blood force trauma. It didn't hit him. But they didn't. They haven't, of course, issued a correction. So you see how the story gets spun, and it, it for a very intentional purpose. Well, John's doing the same thing. He's being a little fast and loose, maybe. Uh, or he's recording it more accurately. I mean, we don't really know. We weren't there, right? But again, his purpose for telling, uh, telling the story is, I think, again, more theological, and, it's, and it has some unique elements to it. So what would help for us is to read um, Jesus' trial before Pilate and, then, and to read it in, in total uh, and then kind of point out a few of the details, and then next time we can get in and get, it, get down into the minutiae again. So... Uh, it starts in chapter 18, verse 28, right? Yeah. So that's where we'll start up. Uh, just read a chunk and then we can, somebody else can pick up. Read what's on screen maybe or whatever you want to do. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but would eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and judge him by your own law. And Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken, to show by what kind of death he was going to die. All right, let me scroll. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would not have been fight would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And after he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. All right, somebody else want to pick up? Check it out. Nice and loud. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, 
See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold, the man. When the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to you? What? Do you? you will not speak to you will, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement. And in Aramaic, there you go. Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold, your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? Chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Um, yeah, so that's the end of the trial. So they took Jesus. All right. So, um, what? I'm going to scroll all the way back to the beginning and make you motion sick. All right, scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Blah, blah, blah. All right. Now, in one sense, there's two trials, and in another sense, there's one. Because keeps, Pilate keeps going in and out, right? In and out, in and out. Um, so remember last time, we talked about this two weeks ago, that there's no trial before the Sanhedrin. Now, what was the trial before the Sanhedrin all about? They allude to it in here. There's one statement in here. One statement from the Jews. Pilate asks them a question, and they have one statement. Um, it's not in the part on the screen. It comes later. It's not about the person put him to death? No, right after that. Oh. Let's see if I can find it. Uh, where did it go? Oh, I lost it. Was it the part about them saying that he should die because he made himself the son of God? Oh, yeah, there it is. They have to, it was on the screen. Sorry. It's right there, verse 30. If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Before that. No, where is it? The Jews say it's not lawful for us to put anyone to the death. No, that's not it. Because then later on they say, we have a law. And it's expedient that one man should die. Yeah, and according to that law, see if you can find that. You don't have Bibles open, so you have to, wait, I'll keep scrolling. Do you say that's what I do? My world, am I a Jew? Then Pilate said to him, what is truth? He went out to the Jews. Oh yeah, here we go. You have a custom. No. They cried out, no, this man is Barabbas. Hail, king of the Jews. I find no guilt in him. Uh, take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no guilt in him. Here it is, verse 7. The Jews answered him, 
we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. So that was the purpose of the whole trial before the Sanhedrin that's recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which is a trial about, what's the word that we use? What was Jesus accused of? Yeah, back in chapter 8 as well, I think it is, or 7. They wanted to stone him, remember that, because of blasphemy. And here they say explicitly, because he made himself the Son of God. And you know what happens there in verse 8 with Pilate. With that, he becomes more afraid. Why? Well, yes, he, well, he has declared him, according to Roman law, he's innocent. Right? But it's actually, it's more than that. What has Pilate, and Jesus, what have Pilate been interrogating Jesus about, in particular? What's this whole trial been about? Yes, about him being king, and then being, if he's, Jesus is king, then he's opposed to, to Caesar. Caesar. That's right. So Pilate's been trying him on the basis of Roman law. This man makes himself out to be king, right, um, and taking the place of Caesar. So he thinks, wrongly, that he's dealing with an insurrectionist, somebody, you know, who's going to call us, you know, it's going to give a speech and tell people to peacefully and, you know, patriotically march and overthrow the Roman Empire. That was a joke. Um, the problem with these jokes is they're so time-bound. I don't, and everything's going to get memory-hold and nobody's ever going to remember what actually happened. Somebody will listen to this years in the future, grandchildren or something, right, and they'll be like, what was he talking about? <laughs> patiently and patriotically marching? What is he talking about? Well, anyway, so it is. It, it, this is the thing about the study of God's Word. It really relates to preaching. I looked at some old sermons for today, and I'm like, I could preach those, but they're not really what we need to hear today. It's just you know, times, every time is a little bit different. Even though, it, generally speaking, the contour of the sermon is going to be pretty similar because it's the same text, has the same themes. Um, the context look. You know, particularly for that day, it's going to be different. Well, anyway, he thinks he's arguing on, he thinks he's got a trial. The whole trial is about Jesus' nature as, the, as you know, king of the universe, so to speak. You know, and his kingdom being not of this world, but being the kingdom of heaven. And that's why he's been so confused, because it's like, I understand, you know, Pilate understands this whole, like, realm of God and God's the spiritual domain, right? Because they're, they're, they're pantheists. They have, they worship all sorts of gods, right? Pilate understands, okay, if we're talking about Zeus's kingdom, it's not the same thing as Caesar's kingdom. Right? These are two different kingdoms. Pilate's completely on board, completely understands. There's no guilt in him. He's talking about, he's just some wonky spiritual guy. You know, he's the guru who's been wandering around in Galilee. He's, yeah, he's a hippie guru, you know, and he spent too much time in India and uh, did too much dope, you know, and it's just, he's a little weird. But he's not done anything wrong. He's just, he's got followers and he's strange, but... You know, and if he asks, pay taxes. So he's not really opposed to Caesar. He's a, right, pay, pay his taxes, do his thing. All right. So, but that, with that statement, Pilate realizes that he's, he's been arguing a case, on a, he's been dealing with a case that's completely different than what he thought it was. And that, you know, the Jews aren't talking about Jesus being an insurrectionist and being another Messiah like every Messiah that came from before. If you want to read about those Messiahs, just go read, I think, what, 3rd Maccabees, maybe, the apocryphal book where it talks about the Maccabean revolt. You know, or go read Josephus, or who is it that records that? Is it Josephus? Yeah. yeah. 
you know, just go read one of the histories, the antiquities. And they had a Messiah every year. Some guy that they would choose. Barabbas was probably one of them. He was probably a previous Messiah. Not really, but you know what I mean. A guy who said, I'm the Messiah, and then did some murdering and some thieving under the guise of it. All right, so that's one thing that's really unique with John. And particularly, there's no trial before the Sanhedrin, and instead, the Jews try Jesus in cooperation with Pilate. So there's a couple of things that can be said. We'll talk, maybe talk more about it next time. Or I had it at the beginning of the sheet that I didn't bring because I didn't think we needed to get into a lot of detail today. Again, not knowing how much time we have. Uh, but that's one of the big contours that's different. It's, it's Pilate, who's the representative of, of Rome, but he's also the representative of the Gentiles, right? The Gentile courts. And he's, and he's in working in harmony and concert with the Jewish authorities. And Jesus is being tried then for two different things at the same time, right? He's being tried by, by Rome as a Roman criminal, and he ends up being convicted, not for what reason? Why was he convicted? Because it's a hung jury, right? Isn't that what we call it? There's no basis for him to be killed by the Romans. It's just basically just to avoid the uncomfortable truth, right? We just, rather than deal with the awkward reality of what's going on, Pilate decides it's just easier that this guy just die. And then we can just kind of shuffle it under the rug. You know, it's kind of like, um, I don't know, like Benghazi or something, right? To appease him. What? To appease. Yeah, just to appease him. Right. Um, but as, as like what we studied this week in our daily prayer with Nathan and David, right? Is that David, David's like, yeah, I know I did a bad thing, but I can kind of clean this up a little bit. It's just Uriah just needs to kind of quietly disappear, right? And so <laughs> puts Uriah on the front lines. He gets you know, shot through the heart by an arrow, metaphorically, you know, physically. <laughs> um, David's one whose heart was shot through. And um, yeah, but then he ends up, David ends up involving all sorts of people in the cover-up, right? You've got servants, you've got, you've got the commander, who put Uriah on the front lines. Everybody's in on this. And David's, so now he's got all these people that he's made complicit in the sin. Right? And that's effectively what the Jews have done here with, with Pilate. I mean, Pilate's trying to do the right thing, but they just drag him down into their, into their sin. All right, what other details caught your attention? I should scroll back up. Um, uh, I guess the... Another mention of the past statement about truth, about him being truth. Yes. Uh, so where was that? That's after this. What verse do you have? That was, I have right here. Yeah, yeah 37. 37. Pilots, so this is unique to John, so it's worth um, teasing out. Uh, it's connected as well to the sermon from the funeral on Friday, right? Because uh, that was from John 8, right? You will note it was... Uh, Jane's confirmation verse. Um, the truth will set you free. If you continue in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Right? If, you're not, if you want to connect it to what you heard in the sermon today, you're not free if you bind yourself to your impulses, to, to um, your cares and pleasures of life. I mean, that, that's actually bondage by Jesus' estimation. What are the other things? You know, is that... The, the freest time you'll ever be 
is when you're with Jesus listening to his word. You put it that way. And then he sets you free. If you stay in his word, remain in his word each day, then you're free to act without fear, right? As, uh, as uh, Zechariah said in the Benedictus, free to serve him without fear all the days of our life. Right? All right, yeah, so what is truth? Um, you know, I love Pilate because Pilate is, is the perfect uh, postmodern. You know about postmodernism? No, kind of, yes, no, maybe. All right, so there's pre-modern, which that's uh, before the Enlightenment. And with the Enlightenment is humanism. You know about humanism? Okay. All right, so this pre-modern sometimes is called the Dark Ages, which is not fair. But anyway, Enlightenment, humanism. This is right actually at the same time as the Reformation. Right, so we, the Church of the Reformation is a church that's only lived in the Enlightenment. But Luther took this and he used it to point backwards. Rather than the Enlightenment and humanism said, we are going to outgrow all of this and become something better. Got it? All right. So the Enlightenment, and then that led to, I mean, any number of things, the American Revolution, the French Revolution, all the revolutions. Right? Eventually, this is what's called the modern era. So since they finally woke up, enlightened, we've, now we're modern people. But before that, they were pre-modern. This is when they you know, believed in all the hocus-pocus stuff and you know, buried statues in their yard and I don't know, prayed to saints and things, right? And eventually, this leads to not modern, but then there's post-modern, which is really nice, right? Oh, now we're past modern. And that, that happened right here with what I'll just call nihilism. You know that word? Nothing. Right here, this word, nihil, is Latin for nothing. What was it? Um, what, what, was the, what was the one? Ex nihilo? Ex nihilo is, uh, yeah, that God created out of nothing, right, in Latin. But nihilism, this big break, this is effectively World War One to World War Two, And that's really the reason for it is that we saw, I mean, you saw more people, I figured out where the cold air is coming from, by the way, Gabe, from the lights. That's why I keep feeling it on my back and my neck. It's coming from the attic, the cold air up here. It's coming out of the light fixtures. Anyway. I was asking if the windows, were, the windows are closed, but there's cold air coming from up. Um, anyway, nihilism, the, probably the most famous guy is, uh, is Friedrich Nietzsche, Friedrich Nietzsche. This is one of the things that, uh, if you listen to Band Books podcast, we talk a lot about philosophy. We bring up philosophers. Uh, the history of philosophy parallels the history of theology. And, and what, everything that's happened in the church, it first happened in, in uh, the university and, and philosophy. Right? So when, what happened is, is, you know, like Friedrich Nietzsche famously said, God is dead. And then for most churches, they didn't figure it out for about another 20 or 30 years. And then they're like, oh, now we get what he meant. Right. That God is dead. What he was declaring, he wasn't saying that he wanted to kill God, but he was saying that God was dead in the hearts and minds of the people. Effectively dead. They viewed him as a dead God, not a living and active God. Um, he was the son of a Lutheran pastor. Mm. Pastor's kids. <laughs> they go places. Just say. Yeah. And so we live in what's called the postmodern era, 
And if there is nothing, nothing, because without God, right, if God is dead, then his word is dead. And his word sets, for us, it sets our understanding of the world. It tells us what is and what isn't, what's true and what's not, what is good, what's not. What, you know, um, it sets the moral framework. It sets, well, it shows us what God's ordering is of all creation, right? And if that's all dead, if we have actually set that all aside now, now we live in what's called postmodern era where nothing is real. Everything is imaginary. Even the meaning of words. Right? So then word, words don't even come to mean like, like truth. This is why I said to start this whole conversation we're pointing out Pilate's statement, what is truth? Pilate's the perfect postmodern. He, he jumped ahead 2,000 years <laughs> and figured out that you know what? Because Jesus says, everyone who's of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus is not, you know, he's way, he's pre-modern, <laughs> right? I mean, for 1,500 years, the world actually, for lesser or greater, it grounded its understanding of existence and reality upon external revelation. Christians, from God's word in Scripture, Jews, of course, from the Old Testament Scriptures, uh, Muslims, from the Quran, and others from other holy books. That was the grounding of reality for people. That's how they understood the world. It's through um, the sacred texts that they had. Or maybe it was an oral history if it wasn't written down. Right. And then what happened here is this is, the, the, this is really the grand Tower of Babel project, if you like. Remember what was Babel all about? Babel, Babel? Babel, 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 Babel. That's how you remember it. Building up to the heavens. No, no, no. Babel, 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 Babel. This is about words. Oh. Right? They all spoke the same language, and so then they could all, God said, you know, they can do whatever they want to do, right? Because they're all on the same page, so to speak. Not on my page, but they're on the same page themselves, right, as humanity. All right. I'm sorry, there's more we can say, but Ron. Well, I was just going to say that I think uh, the writings of the origin of the species had something to do with. Oh, yeah. I don't know if this. No. Oh, it's right in the middle of it. Yeah, I mean, Darwin, Darwin is, is fully mar modern. He's right here. Darwin's right, right in the middle. Right? But what happens is Darwin basically said there is no God in the machine or in the world or in creation, however you want to look at it. He pulls God out and he says everything is a process of evolution, which evolution depends upon the, the biological theory of evolution, right, that species evolved to other species, which we don't really have much evidence of, if any. We have species themselves changing, but not one species, you know, like a, a dinosaur turning into a bird or something. Um, it's, it's kind of strange. It's like, it's as if God made the whales and they stayed whales. Uh, what what uh, Darwin is dependent upon is actually something that preceded him, or actually it's contemporary to him, is a philosophical um, position from George, Georg, sorry, I'll call him George, George Hegel. You know Hegel? So Hegel's famous, and now Hegel, Hegel is what led to socialism, but this is a whole other story. But um, Hegel said, and this is what Darwin's relying upon, is that there's, there's thesis, there's antithesis, and then what would come next? Synthesis. Synthesis. Very good. You've heard this before. 
Yeah. So this is, this, is, uh, this is actually what politics is, right? So you've got this person has this position, this person has an opposite position, and then what do you say? Let's find a way that we can... <laughs> right. This happened in the church, the Prussian Union. I'm a Lutheran, you're a Reformed. How about we find, like Hegel taught us, how about we find it somewhere in the middle? But guess what the synthesis is? It's neither the thesis nor the antithesis. Right? So if you, like for example, our friends at the, in the ELCA, if they, they've joined with all sorts of church bodies, Methodists, Presbyterians, I don't know who all, right? UCC, they're all together. And they become this new big old conglomerate of World Federation of Churches, which is none of them. No one retained any identity. There's no Lutherans, there's no UCC. None of them are anything. They're all just this brand. It's the melty, melting pot. It's the melting pot. Yeah, what happens in the melting pot? See, the melting pot would be fine, like, like a good stew, right? There's the meat, and there's the veg, and there's a little, the broth and all this stuff. But no, what do they do? They take the immersion blender, and it ends up being baby food, right? There's nothing, you can't break it apart. Yeah? Lukewarm. Yeah, lukewarm. Neither high nor coral. That's right. To quote uh, Laodicea, right, from Revelation. Uh, so that's, a, that's what Darwin was working with. He's like, there's one species, another species, and they interbreed, and then what happens? There's a new species, see? Uh, which isn't actually demonstrable. It is within, like, a species, but not within a... What is it? Within a genus, but not within a species? I remember how he breaks them down, right? But, I mean, like, we have, we have beefalo, right? which are cows and buffalo, because the, the buffalo, weren't, they weren't going to make it, right? They're the same kind, not the same. Right. Yeah, yeah they're, not, they're, the, they're the same kind. Um, there's, they think there's more buffalo roaming free in Indiana than there were, like, what was it, like 100 years ago? Because I mean, they've made all these efforts. They also have wild wolves now, too, so they're trying to recreate the whole thing. They've got wolves and buffalo, and it's like, we have to still live here. There's wild buffalo in Indiana. I don't know. They do more out west, but I know there's some in Indiana. I saw a story about it. They're not quite buffalo, though, right? Because there's something wrong with the genetic makeup, or they, or they had to interbreed with the cows. To There weren't enough left. All right, why did we bring this up? Oh, yes, postmodern. So postmodern said, you know, they took what Nietzsche said, and they thought it was a good idea that there be nothing. No reality, no truth. No, no words don't even maintain their meaning. So... Uh, Ethan used the word gender fluidity, right? So you're, the very, uh, your very understanding of who you are is not based upon your X, X or XY chromosome, you know, makeup. What is it, two Ys? I can't remember. XY is male, right? And then YY is Whatever it is, right? There's two biological sexes. That's it. There's, no, there's very, 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 very rare cases where people have... Um, have some of both. Right? It's like 0 0.001 or something. It's very low. It does happen sometimes. So we can acknowledge that. But eh, for all intents and purposes, it doesn't happen. <laughs> okay? Um, I feel say, well, no, I, you know what? I'm going to ignore what, that because I don't care what biology says. I'm going to self-identify as something else. Right? Ignore the science. What's that? Ignore the science. Well, if you like, yeah, because science is the power of observation. It's thesis based off of observation. So this affects the church. This is why I think Pilate is so brilliant here to bring this up for us, um, and Jesus too, because 
ultimately, uh, I think I said something similar in the sermon on Friday, but maybe I've talked about it elsewhere too, is you know, when we're this confused as you know, morally, ethically, as a society, I don't think anybody would disagree that we're confused, <laughs> that we don't know what's real. We can't even, dis- we can't even agree about like, the facts of January 6th. We can't agree about the facts of November 3rd. We can't agree. We, we, we don't even care about facts, actually. Right? Evidence, you know, testimony. It doesn't ma- none of that matters. All that matters is whatever I say it, it was. Well, when that ha- what do you end up with? There is no reality. That's the goal, by the way. Um, it, you know, with the, we, we experienced it a little bit because of the lockdowns, right? Everybody went virtual, quote unquote virtual. What does virtual mean? Fake. Fake. Yes, thank you. It's not from virtue, virtuous, as in it was good. Actually, it's probably related, though. Uh, virtual. Search Google for virtual. Oh, who knows what's going to come up. (laughs) Dictionary, there we go. Almost or nearly as described, but not completely or according to strict definition. So it's almost, but not completely. (laughs) Right? So we have, you know, virtual school. It's almost school, but not quite completely. It doesn't quite fit the definition. Or we have virtual church, right? Which didn't even... It's not even close to what we do when we're here in person. I mean, the first part, the service of the word, where you hear the word, right? Except, like, somehow we'd need to figure out a way so that you could all talk together, too. But here's the problem. Unless, unless everybody is communicating at the speed of light, we're communicating at the speed of sound. You know what the speed of sound is? 186,000. That's light. Yeah. That's light. Uh, speed of sound? Six, six, seven. Five miles. Well, it's easy. I mean, the easiest way to think of it, it's about 30 feet per second. All right. So if you're separated by, say, yeah, 1,500 feet, you know, it's going to be quite a few seconds lag. So we can't all, all but, but then we're connected electronically, right? So then that's the speed of light. Roughly, electricity travels at the speed of light close, but with resistance. So, of course, it takes a while. So if you're on copper lines, it takes longer than fiber optics, right? Okay. It doesn't matter. Whatever. It has to go through computers. Computers have to process. There's, there's all these delays. So if, for example, you could all say amen together on the internet, we had it so that I could hear you too, there would be amen. All right. Right? So almost, but not quite. <laughs> it's like trying to get kids to pray together. <laughs> when, they, when they say, I haven't prayed before. Yeah, wrong. Since we're talking about this passage, uh, yeah. I had a question when um, Jesus answered Pilate about uh, having power. Yeah, where is that? What uh, verse? Verse 11. Okay, scroll back. Jesus said, You have no power over me if we're not here to you. Aha, uh-huh, yes. The, That's also unique here. And the next sentence, Therefore, the one who handed me over to you, the one who handed me over to you is guilty or greater sin. I went too far, I'm sorry. Hold on, where are we? There we are. Oh, yeah, yes. I thought all sins were the same. Ah, no, they are not. So sorry. Common, common misconception. All sins the same, right, Pastor? Well, you're telling me there's well, a higher sin, tier of sin against the Holy Spirit. Right, yeah. All right, yeah. So um, I have to do my diagram. I do it all the time. But it's the reason why, we, why I almost always pray the same post communion collect, because I can always point to it. You probably know it by heart. 
I think the board needs to be refreshed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Find some more of that furniture polish. Isn't that what we put on it? I think so. It makes it on when it's this uh, whatever the surface is. Okay, that's good. <laughs> so, you know, we say it this way in the collect faith towards you, towards God, right? And then fervent love towards one another, right? Towards your neighbor. Right? And then you sit right here at the nexus. Right? So we ask that, the, that um, through, the, through this gift, the salutary gift, that he increase faith in, towards you and love towards one another. Yeah, and the, the seminary does a great job of this with their architecture. Oh, yeah. Luther's, uh, uh, the seminary in Fort Wayne, they, the, the chapel, they have the same stone in all the building, the same bricks, I should say. In the chapel... They're, I think they're just triangular, right? Yeah. yeah. They're like, no, they're diamonds. They're longer than this. That is a diamond. What's a square? It's more diamond shaped like that. Yeah. All right, there we go. So in the chapel, they're vertical like this. But in, the, in all the other buildings, they're like this. They're horizontal. So like in the, in the residences and in the classrooms, because there you're interacting with one another. But when you're in the chapel... Thanks, Ethan. I like it. So, uh, Ron had two points that we need to respond to. One, all sins the same. And the other point was something to do with authority, right? Yeah. Oh, who has the greater sin, right? Yeah. Okay, so, no, this, and this is unique to John's account, right? Because, again, Pilate's trial has to do here, more so than the other Gospels, less with, like, how do I keep the crowd appeased? Which is true, it's still there, but it's more about this, Jesus's, how does Jesus relate to Caesar? Where does, and Pilate, and where does, where does all the authority structure fit? And Jesus's kingdom versus Pilate's kingdom, and all of that, Right? And Jesus' statement, my kingdom is not of this world, right? Um, but also, what was the other thing that we were talking about? But there is that, that charge of blasphemy, but it's in the background. It's really not the main priority here in John. Whereas it actually, because of Jesus actually having a trial before the Sanhedrin and the other Gospels, there's a lot more about his blasphemy claiming to be God and less about this authority and relationship with church and state, if you like, or kingdom, the two kingdoms, as we call them. All right, so uh, who has the greater sin? Now, this is a really hard statement. And we'll probably have to dig more into it when we get to it specifically. Uh, probably not next time. But the, um, where does all authority come from, according to Jesus? Yeah, all authority comes from God, right? So God establishes... This, I actually thought about conveying this to our teachers... You know, Cassie had set up a framework for us of understanding what we do um, as being about literacy, right? And then literacy, but then we didn't get as far as we wanted to get with that, which is to talk about where, what do we mean by literacy and what, it's so hard. Um, so I wanted to, I wanted to suggest that the, the mission of our school is understanding how God's word, being literate in God's word, but how it applies, um, I think I was going to suggest in three, in the three estates, which you might think of them as three columns, 
right? I'm just trying to think of a way to communicate this to people, right? We deal with, we deal with the child um, with God's word, but then we apply that word in three, in these three estates, which are uh, loosely home, church, and then of course the world, or if you like the stage or whatever you want to say, right? So how does God's word affect them in the three estates? Um, the problem with that diagram is that it puts the home and the church and the world on an equal footing, right? So really, we don't want it in columns. I think we want it horizontals, right? And, and the deepest one is actually um, the world. It's, it's the one that gets buried under everything else, right? And the church is actually a servant to the home or the family. So our, our goal is, is first to actually... This is the way our rights say it, actually. The books, like when we do an installation, is that the, is that the teachers will do, God willing, we'll have an installation, right? And the right actually says that the teacher has been called to support the parents and to support the pastor. So the teacher ends up being here to support the work of the, the parents and of the pastor, right? And so the teacher ends up being one man on the totem pole. Probably in many ways, <laughs> financially. It's kind of been lost to us then these days of how the home and the family is um, put in the forefront over the church in right. regards to God's word. Right. So the, the, this is what I'm trying to get at with this this topic of authority. Right. Where does the world's authority derive from? From word, from God. Right. But. The state's authority is to serve the church. The church's authority is to serve the family. The central building block of all society, from the beginning, is male and female, and then the blessing of children to the male and female. It's the home. And today it seems like it's reversed. Exactly. Right. This is why I wrote on Facebook. Probably made some people upset that I called. I said the governor is, is tyrannical. Right. But though, if you note the things that the legislature took from the COVID relief bill for the state were exactly those. He wanted to tell the churches when they can meet and not meet, and he wanted to tell families what to do. That is with the raising of kids. Mm -hmm. right? Now that makes sense a little bit because he's a school, historic, you know, his whole adult life was as a school teacher, right? So that he would care about the family, care about children. Um, as a matter of fact, I almost, oh gosh, social media is so terrible for me. Um, one of the random lake um, what was she? A counselor. I, mean, you know, I follow the page because Naomi's over there. I like to keep, keep tabs on what's happening. But she was holding up a written thing. and It, it was a post just to thank her, uh, actually the whole team of counselors for their service. But what she had written on the page was really remarkable. I saw it. You saw it? I saw it. Yeah, it, it's, it's Hillary Clinton's old statement. It takes a village to raise a child. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, and I wanted to say, no, it takes parents to raise a child. You're there to help the parents raise the child. Mm -hmm. We don't need the community. I mean, sometimes we do, right? Sometimes you have children, broken homes, etc. Right? That's not, but that's not the norm. That's not what we're seeking. That's not what we want. We want to encourage and support parents in the raising of children. And parents are just as bad. They, they delegate the authority to teach their children to the teachers or to the state. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. So it works both ways. So this has to do with authority. And where does authority come from? It comes from God. And I was thinking about this. The authority of God's word, then, in regards to the school, applies its first, 
Man, my handwriting is terrible. I'm just going to erase it. That doesn't even look right. <laughs> Home. Okay, there we go. Uh, it's, it's primarily um, for the household, God's word. It goes, it goes into the homes, right? To begin at, Luther even does this in the catechism, to begin and end each day in prayer as the head of the household does, right? Leads the household in prayer. Or um, you think Old Testament, that you go about your day writing, you know, singing a hymn or writing, writing have, they, even, they even kept it in a little box on their forehead, the Orthodox Jews, you know about this? You know, they'd strap it on and they have God's word on a little, 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 microscopic writing on a little, and put it in a little box. I don't know what word, probably the Lord, the God, or Lord, the Shema, the Lord, the Lord, he is one. Deuteronomy 6, maybe. All right, so you would have no authority at all unless it had been given you from above, right? So Pilate's authority for the neighbor is derived from God. That's why, that's why I wrote this up here, maybe. Um, but here's the problem. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has a greater sin. Who delivered him over? This is where it gets really difficult. Who delivered Jesus over to Pilate? The church. The Jews, Pharisees did. Who else? Judas. Well, Judas, yeah, of course. The people. The father. Remember, remember, we talked about this a couple weeks ago that this whole passion, the whole passion story, especially the garden event, right? Who is in control? Jesus is in control. And, he's, and, he, and that whole prayer, we had chapter 15 through 17 in the upper room, it's all about I'm doing my father's business. I'm going, I'm, I, not my will, but your will be done. It's that kind of statement. Although that's from the other gospels. Right? So that's why this gets really hard. Right? Is now he's saying Pilate is actually doing the father's work on behalf of the father. So he's received authority and he's using that authority to bring about salvation of the world. But through 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 accusation, ultimately, and then, and then crucifixion. Yeah, Ron. Jesus wanted to suffer that over the for a second. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. Right now, is Jesus saying that the Father has sin? <laughs> he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. No, he's not. He's not. So that that's really directed ultimately then at the at the Jews, of course. Um, Pilate is just Jesus is telling him. You're just doing what you got to do, effectively, right? Now, regards to sin before neighbor, um, this is the reason I drove it up here. Thanks, Ron. <laughs> is before God, all sin is equally damnable, you know, deserving of death, punishment. Okay, we'll try. We'll let this be the last thing. Um, deserving of death and punishment. The only sin that's not forgivable is one we were actually talking about in the sermon, is that you reject Jesus. That's it. And the unfortunate or uncomfortable truth is that you have the capacity to do that. Which we don't want to hear. We'd rather like. I think what I realized this later that I could have said it in a number of different ways. But you know, but it's true. We live as if there's nothing that can separate us from Jesus. Now, in one sense, He promises nothing can separate us that's outside of our control, right? Not persecutions, not murders, not slander, not theft. I mean, there's no, there's nothing outside of us. What Paul describes, but you can. Unfortunate, right? So um, that's why we're continuing. That's why our life is a life lived in repentance, right? Confessing our sin. Anything that would separate us from Jesus, we confess and we plead for mercy and receive forgiveness. Right, so before God, yes, there's there, it's sin, 
I mean, you, it could be a lustful thought, and that's enough to damn you to hell forever. Right? So your whole life before God has lived in faith in Jesus. Everything, there's nothing, or as Paul says, everything that we do is, is fil- filthy menstrual garments, and the only thing that can free us from this, this body of sin is Jesus. So, before God, all sin is equal. Before our neighbor, not all sin is equal. And not all sin is equally punished by God either, before neighbor. So there's always, there's always um, a judgment of, of sin right, before the neighbor. We know this is true. The constant, I mean, you're, you're not going to get the same punishment for, for shoplifting as you're going to get for robbing a bank. Why aren't they equal? Because the effect upon the, who you're affecting is not equal, right? Because when you rob a bank, you're robbing a bunch of people. You, you know, thief from a store... You're you know, primarily against the owner and the workers there, right? So it's much smaller. Stuff. It's probably a smaller quantity of thing, right? Yeah, Ron. Yeah. That's a creation. That's a creation story. Yeah, Revelation is a, is talking about the new creation. Oh yeah, we heard that today. I read it. I read that reading. I should have probably just done the Hebrews, but I read it because it's the primary one. And I'm like, Paul, you know, he's like, why do you have to talk like a madman? Just skip that part. We got the point, right? He doesn't boast in anything. He could boast. He's got a lot he could boast about. If he really wanted to, I could tell you all sorts of things. Here, I'm going to tell you anyway. It's, I try to make it funny because it is. I think he's trying to be funny. Here I'm going to talk like a madman. Get ready. But, um, but it's true. I don't even know who he's talking about. If he's talk- he says he's not talking about himself, but it sure sounds like he's talking about himself. Like he got caught up into some third heaven. And like, but by the way, third heaven, there's the heaven, atmosphere, and there's the stars and planets. The third heaven is the dwelling place of God. That's all that's described. Because we use the word heaven in those three ways. Uh, what are we talking about? Oh, before our neighbor, right? Um, and you know your sin, even if it's not like in the court of law, but if it's just like in its just natural effect, it doesn't have the same effect. If you look at a woman lustfully, it doesn't have the same effect as if you commit adultery with her, right? Okay. Um, just the, the long tail of it isn't going to have the same. This is why the Christian, um, we understand rightly from like uh, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount that you know, that uh, say murder begins with hatred, right? So be attentive to the hatred, to the anger, the unjust anger, lest it turn into murder, right? So cut it off at the pass, if you like, because the anger is not going to have the same effect upon your life as if you take, take someone's life. That's going to have a much longer tail, right? This is one of the reasons we talk a lot about life issues, right? But it's one of the things that we ne- maybe neglect to talk about is the long tail of abortion, for example. Somebody who has, who's had an abortion, not because of medical need, but you know, voluntarily. Um, I encountered this in the congregation in Indiana. I talked about it. It was one of the first things that happened. The first time I mentioned um, how sin, you know, how abortion is, is a manifestation of sin. Um, I had somebody who came up to me who was, I thought, single, but had been previously married. I had no idea, and had divorced when he found out his wife had been aborting all their children. They had been conceived multiple times, and she had kept and kept it from him. Right. Um, and that, and that, you know, this is 40 years later, and it's still, I mean, just the weight upon his heart 
of what he, she did, and he didn't stop her. He didn't know, you know, all of that. That's pretty incredible. And this happens with women too. So that um, there's there are ministries specifically for post-abortion counseling um, to cover that sin with the blood of Jesus, like any other sin. And the fact that it's permitted by the state doesn't help us. It makes it quite difficult because then you're now you're caught with between two authorities. Here's the authority of your conscience, which God has written upon your heart, um, which is, and, and then now is revealed through God's word. We can see what we already know to be true, God's word actually explicitly says, versus the authority of the state, which is a misplaced authority or misused authority. It's meant to reflect the authority of the heart, and ultimately God's word, but instead has chosen to operate on its own, independent of God's word. So, I mean, this is why, oh, I said this would be the last thing. The... Um, the statement, um, certain inalienable rights, that's in the, um, is that the Declaration of Independence? Yeah. That we're endowed with certain inalienable rights from our Creator, that's so important for us to not forget. Um, because actually, whether you're a Christian or a Jew or even a Muslim, you actually believe that. That rights are not given to you by the state, rights are protected by the state. The rights are actually come outside of They're not given by the state. Um, They're given by God. And so the founders, whatever God they believed in, that's not necessarily pertinent. The fact is that they recognize that rights are divorced from the authority of the state. That's speaking about basically what it means to be a person and and what God has attached to a person. Um, So we lost the diagram. But if you're a postmodern, there are no rights that are endowed to you individually, personally, by God. Because there's no God. And there's no such thing as rights, actually. Right? So that's why you can say, well, the First Amendment doesn't apply um, to you or to you or to you based off of the things you were saying. You're like, no, that's actually not true. The first per- what was- I saw somebody on the news saying you can't. The First Amendment doesn't give you permission to lie. I'm like, actually, it does. <laughs> Lying is, is actually protected speech. It's free speech. Like, really? Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't mean that there won't be consequences, especially if you lie in court, for example. Yeah. You know, it's still going to have consequence. But um, yeah, when when nothing matters, when nothing is real, and when nothing is true, and nothing matters anymore, then there's no reality left. There's no truth. And uh, so, I mean, for us, from my standpoint, um, the church is. We have a. We have a. I've been talking about this for ten years. Again, began my ministry, but. It seems all the more pertinent now that we're the place where you say, here's what's really real. Here's what's true. Here's something that you can actually ground your, your understanding of reality and of existence on, which is who Jesus says you are and what he has made you and what he gives to you. And uh, everything else can be completely nuts. You can live in this bonkers world and it can continue to get turned upside down and we'll, you know, maybe it'll just be the end of reality and then well, Jesus will bring about the new heavens and the new earth. That's good. We can run with that. Or um, we just learned how to be just completely strange and odd people in the midst of everybody else thinks we're odd. We think we're normal, and they're odd, right? And it's just like, okay. And there'll be persecution and all that that's attached to it. But so it's been. It's not the first time it's been like this. Yeah. All right. So that's, that's kind of a big summary <laughs> of everything going on here in Pilate's trial. But we'll dig more deeply starting next time in verse 
Where did we start here? Verse 30? 28 of 18. 28, yeah, we've got a lot to cover. Yeah. So I'll try to give you a little bit more detail. There's some really neat stuff going on in here, talking about def- being defiled and whatnot. All right, good. Uh, let's close with some prayer. Heavenly Father, you have uh, sent your Son, Jesus, to die for us, to forgive us our sins, to lead us uh, in the way we should go, namely into the life everlasting that you have prepared for us. Uh, we ask that you would send your Spirit upon us, that we would recognize uh, Jesus for who he is, that we would know what is really real, that we would be guided in the way we should go in our life, um, so that you would preserve us in the faith today and always. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.